Slack has become a problem, John. I got too many slacks. It's just become the ne- the the next way to put things in my various inboxes. I have many Slack teams. Well, there's your problem. I know. Many Slack teams, many email accounts. What else do I have? I suppose that's about it. It just seems like, oh, you know, of course, text. Texts, you know. Text at night. Texts anytime for non-urgent stuff. Who are you texting? I'm not texting. I'm receiving texts from people who... Well, that's why you go into do not disturb mode. Do you have that on? So, so, so anytime it's after business hours, I've got to put my phone in do not disturb? Well, I... Mine goes, I put mine in Do Not Disturb around 10. Your phone? Yeah. Oh, well, I don't want to be disturbed before 10. No. Like after business hours, I don't want to be disturbed unless it's some emergency. Well, then you need two phone numbers. I know. People just, that's, that's untenable though, right? That, that, I'm not going to carry around two phones. I guess I could do a Google Voice for one of them, but I mean, the whole world knows my mobile phone number now, so I'd have to, I'd have to change my number first. And I don't want to do that. Because you're lazy? Yeah, just, it's not even that. If it was worth it, I would do it. But the problem is the effort's not, it'd be too much. You have to make sure you have backups of all your um, two-factor authentication codes because... That's right, because I totally use two-factor authentication on everything. Yeah. Actually, I do on things that are, I deem to be important. Speaking of that, and just theft and authentication, whatever... What, how do you, I'm not even going to ask you this. I don't want. I don't want you to answer what you actually do. But how do you feel about, you know, hold the whole disk encryption now? What's what does Mac call it? Um, is it Vault? Oh, maybe. Um, how do you feel about those? They used to be a problem at File Vault, right? And it's apparently, you know, uh, Mac OS has done a pretty good job of it. You just enable it, and it kind of silently encrypts your whole disk. And then if if someone was to steal your computer if you were to leave it somewhere which I've had some close calls on stealing and leaving and but never actually lost a computer um, but if they did you know of course they, they probably can't log into it right because they don't have your password but all they have to do is pop the hard disk out or, or somehow get you know just boot your computer up outside of your OS and or, or you know just tap into your hard drive essentially and uh, it's all unencrypted yeah but I think these these whole disk encryptions have gotten really good. Now, I don't know what the story is on Windows, but I imagine it's pretty good. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever, ever had any issues with them. I believe it's on on mine. I'll have to double check, but I think I turned it on at one point. Um, but my computer is pretty fast and it's got enough memory and it's an SSD. So, I mean, performance doesn't seem to be a big factor. Yeah. I'd, I didn't think it was nowadays, but seems like not a bad idea. I remember when it was back in the day when it was kind of crummy, but the big companies would make all their employees use whole disk encryption mm-hmm. on their laptops and oh, it was such a pain. Yeah, now, it's, it's now it's just, it's really transparent nowadays. Yeah, it's definitely on on my machine and I've never had any issues, so never found any issues with hmm. performance. But I also, you know, do you do backups? Like, like for example, you know, like I have this little external disk sitting here and every day I plug it in and run a backup, but I don't think that's encrypted though. It's not. <laughs> but it does sit in my, not that, not that someone couldn't break in here, but it sits in, in here, in this office. office. Yeah. I mean, I'm more worried about accidentally leaving a laptop somewhere or someone stealing it out of my car, something that I'm taking a lot of places. I mean, it's much more likely to get into the hands of a, a, of a bad actor than this thing sitting in here in my office. Yeah, honestly, there's not too much, if anything, on my computer that I couldn't lose. Um, the few things that I do have, I have on some kind of cloud service. 
And so I have that available, but the... It's not you lose, getting not having access to it. It's other people getting access to your data that, you know, there's the... Concern. Well, I know, but I have the encryption here. And so I don't really have a need to back it up because, I mean, if I had to, I'd just reinstall my OS and then my the files that I do need are on a cloud service somewhere so I can get those back. Um, right. But I don't really keep any kind of real personal sensitive oh, documents okay. on my machine. So if I, if I had to get a new computer because I lost it or this one got broken or whatever, stolen or whatever, mm-hmm. um, the disk is encrypted. So that's fine. Um, but every, I mean, I don't, I don't care about getting a new computer and reinstalling things. Yeah. In fact, I maintain a list in one of my shares of all the apps that I use because I would, I would basically have to go in and reinstall them. You know what? I, I maintain, I have a list also. They, like these are things you have to install if you get a new computer. But I, um, I so f- infrequently get a new computer that I don't even maintain it because it's, it, you, you really have to stay on top of it. And there's nothing that's checking me to make sure that I'm, mm. that I'm maintaining that. So I just don't. I go in there every so often and, and maintain it. Um, a lot of times, if I'm buying something that's that's so it's gotten easier to maintain because if I buy something off the app store, I obviously have the history there, so I can go in and see whatever I had and whatever yeah. I'm using and whatever I'm not using. And then for things that I have to buy a separate license for, I stick that into my One Password application, so that's where I store my license, yep, my actual too. license. So that kind of serves as a, as a repository for that too. Yeah. But then I just have like a separate document of notes of applications that I use and it's kind of categorized about why I use them. Like if this is a productivity, this is a developer tool, this is a graphic tool. Um, and it's just there. I, I, I'm probably more likely to reinstall everything more frequently than you because I, a lot of times if a new OS comes out, OS comes out, sometimes I will just go with the upgrade and sometimes if I feel it's like a big enough change, I might just tell it to blow away my system and reinstall everything with the new OS clean. Yep, right. That's just something I've always done. Um, I used to, I used to reinstall my system, my OS, um, every six months. Sometimes more frequently than that when I was on Windows. I remember that. Well, you kind of needed to back then. I mean, that served a pretty significant purpose. Yeah. Nowadays, though, I feel like, at least with Mac OS, I feel like it's gotten pretty damn good. It is something that I, I don't feel the need to do as often, even with my Windows VM. Um, now, if a new version comes out, like when 10 came out, I pretty much have a new VM for that, and I still have my old 8 VM. Um, so I think because I'm on VM on virtual machines that I will probably just have a new VM for every new OS that comes out. But hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, you want to get into uh, some Salesforce news? Let's. Okay. We're going to talk about the outage first. Let me um, let me do one thing before that because it leads into it, which is uh, Benioff in, in Davos because he's a Davos man for the world. Is it by the way? Is it Davos or Davo? Do we know? I don't know. That oh. was Davos. I'll, I'll never make it out there, so it probably doesn't matter. <clears throat> uh, anyway, so he's uh, now saying that, and boy, he got he got big headlines. Of course, this is Benioff. So uh, anyway, he says Facebook is addictive and should be regulated like a cigarette company. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he's in all sorts of news for this. Um, okay, here we go. Billionaire Mark Benioff, the founder of cloud computing firm Salesforce, founder, a sole founder, I guess uh, Parker doesn't count anymore, has urged regulators to crack down on companies such as Google, Facebook, and Twitter, warning that the level of trust the people have placed in these companies is similar to the financial crisis, crisis of a decade ago. So he's saying people trust those companies too much? But, but what does he always ask? His customers to do Salesforce customers. In fact, that's what he that talks about all the time is trust, trust us, trust us, trust us. Yeah. Um, 
but it's, so it's okay for people to put a lot of trust in Salesforce, but not a lot of trust in any other tech company, I guess, right? Don't trust Google. Don't use Gmail. Uh, they're spying on you. Don't use Google Calendar. They're going to know too much about you. Don't use Google Maps. They're going to know where you are. I mean, that's what he's saying here. Not anyway. Let me keep reading because I want I want to make sure I get his points out. Uh, he states that his opinion that um, uh, that the heads of these companies are abdicating their responsibility and are ignorant of the level of power they hold over the public. So, so he's saying that you know who who runs Google now? Is it um, um, is it it's not Sergey and Larry anymore? Is it? It's not Schmidt. Is it Sundar Pichai? What is he doing now? Is he the CEO? Yeah, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. Um, but yeah, they've abdicated their their responsibility. Abdicated. They've just given up. They've walked away from the job. <laughs> Screw it. You guys, you, you guys are in charge. Whoever's are, left. Are, are we getting... and, and they're completely ignorant of the level of power they hold. I mean, I, okay, whatever. I don't know what power they have. I mean, you just stop using them. And Benioff's saying that the regulars have no choice. The government must intervene. Literally his words. Uh, speaking at uh, WEF, uh, Benioff stated, we're in a new world. A decade ago, you had the banks talking about collateralized debt. Uh, right, and so he's gonna, now he's comparing this to the massive financial crisis of, what was that? Two, when was that? 2008? Nine? 2008 and nine? Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, a decade ago, you had the banks talking about collateralized debt obligations and, and credit default swaps, saying uh, these were great for the economy, but regulars weren't, regulators weren't paying attention. Well, actually, there were some regulators paying attention, but Chris Dodd and, and uh, Barney Frank told them to go mind their own business and because there's nothing wrong. Everyone's Fannie and Freddie are fine. <laughs> the government needs to come in and point to true north. Good old, good old uh, big brother. Big, good old Uncle Sam. We need to show us where true north is. Uh, Benioff pointed toward the tobacco and food production industries as an example of, of highly regulated in, in industries. So there are lots of examples from other industries, Benioff said. So yeah, so we need to treat uh, Facebook, not Salesforce, but Facebook, Google, and uh, I guess Twitter as... Uh, yeah, but Salesforce isn't social media. They're the social enterprise, John. What are you talking about? No, they're just consuming social data, social media data. I don't know. Not if you're the social enterprise. You are social. They, they've, they've socialized Salesforce. Oh. <laughs> uh, Benioff also attacked the ride-sharing company Uber, accusing them of prioritizing growth over user trust. I don't know. <sighs> Can you imagine that prioritizing growth, John? Over trust. Uh, it, well, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Does this sound familiar? It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest. Just, I'll leave it right there. The dream, his dream to be the fastest growth. Oh, now, fastest growth. Now you're picking and choosing his words. You didn't even let the clip finish. Well, because we all know where it ends. <laughs> um, he's saying that Uber was built for speed at any cost. Uh, he continued to say that uh, this is unacceptable in a world of connected products. Is that, is that an IoT thing? Or what's he talking about? Benioff stated, uh, trust has to be the highest value for any company. If not, bad things will happen. Now, mind you, this is also the company, and Salesforce is one of the companies that, that, that enables this massive privacy-violating tracking, marketing tracking stuff. I mean, you know who one of Salesforce's biggest partners is in all this tracking stuff? Facebook. You know who another one of their partners is? Twitter. You know who another one of their partners is? Google. By the way, <laughs> who was Benioff's best bud a couple of years ago and had been a, a, a featured person at, at uh, Salesforce? The Uber CEO. I, I'm having a hard time with this, if you can't tell. I've noticed that. 
I, I just wonder if, if there's something more to these words. I and mean, we always talk about Benioff kind of trying to be ahead of the, not not ahead of the curve, but he's he's always thinking about something in the future. Like there's something, he's getting, something in, he's getting in front of potential in front issues. Of there's something bubbling in in the social media world that he's trying to st- stake his claim. God, John, you're nailing. <laughs> I, I not I had not put that together, but that's exactly what he's doing because, again, Salesforce is does not have clean hands in this in this uh, whole controversy. They are part of it. They are part of that ecosystem that tracks you, that helps people sell more to you, to know more about you, to know everything you do, where you are, where you shop, what you search for. They're in all that. Their products do all that with in par- direct partnership with those with these companies that he's calling out, which is, I don't understand. He's calling out his partners here. But he's definitely getting out in front of this because this yeah. is becoming a big issue. And yeah. th- there's the regulators are starting to look at this more. And, there's, and the bigger thing is there's being you know, calls from the political side for the regulators to get more involved in this. And I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just trying to make sense of Benioff's position here. Well, I mean, maybe he's taking a position where he 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 gets in front of it, first of all. But I think also, if there is a fair amount of regulation in these type of things, and considering they have all their tools and hooks into these things, is there a play to work cl- more closely with regulators and not get on their bad side so that you um, are able to continue to have access to that information? Absolutely. Or even to help participate in the regulation of that? Of that, of yeah, that. You, what, don't you want to shape that regulation the way you want? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is like lobbying. He's basically lobbying here. Just like, this is not new. Remember when he lobbied the European regulators to, to uh, crack down on Microsoft for buying um, LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. This is a thing for him now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I know there's like a lot of words here we can pick and choose, and we can talk about the fastest and trust over, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I think the real message here is that he's trying to get ahead of of something, and I think his approach has never been screw you, it's my way or the highway. He always kind of takes this very kind of um, inclusive approach where he's he doesn't he wants to look for the compromise. Um, and so for me, when I see this and I, re- I read this, I. I feel like he's he's setting himself up for a good for a compromise, a seat at the table to kind of help drive oh, sure. whatever regulation comes out. Right. I mean, wouldn't you, that's the it's, smarter position to be it in. Is. If if the regulation's gonna happen, you don't want to be the guy that's sitting there with his arms crossed going, Nope, never. I don't want it. I, you want to be the guy at the table no, going, sure, let's do this, but how about this as well? Yep. And I think that's smart for him to do that. Uh, but I, that doesn't mean I don't have to I, that doesn't mean I have to be a blind to the hypocrisy here to the to whatever degree it might exist. It's also interesting that literally as this news is coming out, as he's giving this talk, you know, one of Salesforce's big pods is down and people, they probably tens of thousands of customers are without service for, what was that, at least half a day? At least half a day? I think the um, timestamps were seven hours. Trailhead was down. App Exchange was down. And he's, you know, and yeah. again, it's not, I don't think there, you know, there's, it's not, nothing intentional there, obviously, sure. but I mean, people also trust Salesforce to not go down. So just uh, it, bad timing, a little bit, little bit of egg on the face. Of course, uh, as <laughs> I asked you earlier, right? I'm like, hey, I can't find any news here. I can't find any news coverage of Salesforce being down for half a day. You know, when it comes to their outages, it's I've always had a problem with the way they report on that stuff. Um, I've, well, you pa- wanted to talk about that, right? Yeah. Because I didn't, and they had a, did you go to the webinar or did you see that there was a webinar? Or I you didn't. could watch it or something? Yeah. Which is kind of cool, I guess, in a way that they're going to talk about it. But, you know, I, I actually sat on the, Webinar for remember when they they actually lost customer data? Yeah, um, they did a webinar for that, and yeah, you know, and I'm sure a lot of this is kind of has has been set up like the whole fact that there's a webinar because of there was a significant outage. I think that's all just part of the 
the procedure that was put in place after the last, and they were they were uh, they were kind of unprepared for that type of outage. Yeah, they don't have enough practice in it. I mean, I, I guess to their credit, they don't have enough practice in this because it doesn't happen all that often. I mean, some someone who's who's really good at responding to outages um, has a lot of outages. So I I think that Salesforce they have more brownouts than what you might than one person might. Because I I see, agree with that. I see definite issues on a fairly regular basis across different pods that, are, that never get surfaced on status, and I and I can guarantee you there they are problems. And I've, in fact, I've had instances where I, uh, support gets I get escalated, and they I'll get someone working with me. That, yeah, they that talk about the problem. They've got a problem. They're they're working on it. They're rerouting jobs and changing their job queue algorithm, all that kind of stuff. But but nothing. I mean, it's an active problem. Like that, they're it's an all hands kind of thing that they're working on. But nothing on nothing on trust. Well, but I've always said you can't trust the trust. <laughs> the irony, John, the irony of this speech he gave yesterday. Well, so so I, I remember way back in the past, there was an outage, and I remember it being flag, red flagged, critical outage. Nobody can can log in, and I had my screenshots to prove it. And then, what was it, the next day or a few hours later, um, it changed, and it was, it was changed to like, oh, it's just a little performance degradation with this minor system. And it happened again yeah. with this outage. If you go and look at the code for that outage, um, it, it says uh, performance degradation. Uh, it says performance degradation began uh, at 10 a.m. Central Time. Um, and it ended seven hours and, well, actually almost eight hours, seven hours, 47 minutes um, at 547. Uh, and then it says, it, it tries to describe the root cause, but it says during this performance degradation, end users may experience intermittent errors with accessing the chatter now functionality on the Salesforce application. And this was specifically targeting the NA3, NA33, and the CS3. There were other systems involved, but there were, there were sandboxes, so they're, they're less, less of an issue to really worry about. Um, but I bring that up because the email, um, I had actually gotten an email, and I guess I have an account to one of these instances, or it went out to everyone. I think you had to have an account with one of the instances. Yeah, so um, the email that went out, because I, I got the email before I knew there was an issue on trust. And the email says, uh, the Salesforce technology team is currently investigating a service disruption on our NA3, CS59, CS60, on and on. Uh, the service disruption began at 1527 UTC um, on the 23rd. Which is, so that would be like three something UTC, which for us, like here in the central time zone in the United States is, should be, yeah, around eight I, or ten. I, I think it's nine. I think yeah, that's maybe. nine because we're six, six minus six. So, like, yeah, yeah, nine in the morning. Okay. Uh, and so it goes on to say, users on these instances are currently unable to log into the application. Um, and this was, you know, um, signed by the Salesforce critical incident team. So, according to the email, you couldn't log in. And I believe that was a sentiment that I was hearing from other people in the community saying, "I, it's down. Right. You can't get in. You mm -hmm. can't do this. There are other services that are impacted." Um, that you can't get into and can't log in yet. Here we are a few days later, or what was this, yesterday? Day before yesterday? It happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yesterday, this was yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm giving, it's, it, and it says nothing more than a performance degradation. Yeah, a little revisionist. Well, we've seen before where there's Salesforce is down, and so it'll show red uh, as the current status on trust, but yes. then once they fix it, the red disappears as if it didn't happen. Right. It doesn't trail off in history, it just disappears. So I don't know. I mean, I mean, and, and we've talked about this before, especially with the with other instances. And it could just be that maybe there was people who was people who could not log in for a very short period of time, but during the majority of the time, certain services were up, and so 
they consider it more of a degradation because during the majority of that five hours, people were able to access certain things, but other services were still down. Yeah. And the, I guess one thing that gets me is that um, a lot of times the, I think, I feel like the metadata API, it, it's under, in some cases, just constant, some shade of degradation. It's like always degraded. <laughs> but but I guess maybe that's why they don't ever put it on trust because it's like, oh, it's always degraded. So why should, why would we ever put it on there? But, you know, but, you know again, sometimes it gets so bad that it's like, okay, this has got to go on trust at some point because people can't deploy anything. They can't get, you know, they can't get the stuff done. I saw um, someone sent me screenshots of them trying to log into Salesforce a few days ago. And it was, they were getting the, um, like the, this, the, 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 you know, white, GAC screen with, you know, Times New Roman or whatever the default font is. Oh, really? And, and the, you know, the lovely, you know, negative error ID. You know, so they were getting a... a oh, yeah. That's when, when the one that says force.com header image or whatever error. No, there's... I don't think there's even... I didn't think there's even any kind of graphic on it. It's just... It's there's, just some, there's some screens, some error messages that still have like that force.com logo. I think that's... Those are sites or communities, oh, right? Maybe. So any site, yeah. Those are pretty common. And those don't necessarily mean that Salesforce... Doesn't necessarily indicate a CAC. I mean, any unhandled exception will can result in that. Um, but the other thing, weird thing was, you know, they of course Salesforce they they like to talk about how they can do these site switches really easily, right? If something happens, boom, just switch over to the other side on the other on like on the other side of the country, right? And mm-hmm. each pod has its has a companion pod at on another site, right? And they're doing, you know, they're using all this, you know, fancy, you know, database log shipping to you know to keep it constantly a, a hot standby essentially of, of a pod. And so part of the, you know, for a while, the status was the team is currently evaluating whether or not to do a site switch. Okay. Then the next status was, yeah, we've decided to do a site switch. And then like two hours later, it's like, yeah, the site switch didn't work. Sorry. We're, we're going we're gonna, to, we're actually going to try to fix this original pod now. And boy, that, that's what gives you flashbacks to when they had the, mm. um, the data loss. Because that was a, like a failed, I think that was a failed site switch too. It, you know what, if you remember on that one, they're, they're, the site, there was some kind of automatic switch that was supposed to happen. Might have been a site switch, but the power it was only browning out. It didn't completely go out, so it didn't break. It didn't break the circuit or whatever that that mm-hmm. the, like the automatic cutover thing. And so it was in this just this like you know no man's kind of non non state. It wasn't it wasn't zero or one. It was somewhere in between. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, sideways one. Yeah, this you know this. Uh, the, I think the problem with this whole Davos thing is, you know, it's this, it's for all these muckety mucks, supposed and important. I think Trump's going this year, which was, I, I, well, of course, his first year he's president, but I don't think presidents normally go. So it was a bit unusual, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. maybe it's one of the few places he could go. Seems to get invited and uninvited to places yeah, quite often. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they hadn't, they hadn't <laughs> they get invited and people go, uh, no, and right. he gets uninvited. Well, John, do you have your uh, trailhead resume ready to go? Um, no, I, I, should I? <laughs> Don't tell me you didn't see this. No. Are you serious? I've been uh, buried. I told uh, you. I know. Okay. So Salesforce, uh, is, or their, their trailhead rather, is making the paper resume obsolete. John. Oh, I thought I heard something about that. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. No. Rather than spending hundreds of dollars on an IT certification or paying a couple hundred grand to get a degree. Oh, don't get a degree. That's a stupid, stupid degree. No one needs degrees. Uh, trailhead is designed to democratize learning. We're democratizing learning, John. It's awesome. Public schools didn't do that. No, Salesforce did that. By providing free access to building Salesforce skills. By using Trailhead, novice users develop skills and advanced users become Salesforce experts. You can become a Salesforce expert, John, just by using Trailhead. Uh, here's some quotes from, who is this? Sarah Franklin, EVP and GM of Trailhead. Traditional resumes have become stale and outdated. 
It's just a bunch of text <laughs> and a laundry list of your job experiences. John, your your job experiences that your experience is nothing but a, a list of dirty laundry, apparently. Pretty much a laundry list of job experience. Okay, with the Trailhead profile, we wanted to change the game. They're democratizing and changing the game and and shifting the paradigm. It's a more definitive representation of a learner's skills. Right. So you're, the badges you've completed are a more are a better representation of your skills and of your of your quality as a worker. They are. <laughs> well, I have I have a couple of things uh, to say this about is, this. This is rich. I, I wasn't I wasn't expecting this topic, but I have a couple of things that I can I can talk to here. Some some experiences here. Um, I'll start with a client experience. Um, I've I have found this whole trailhead thing to be really good for for customers. Um, they're they're more proactive in going out and learning the system. I I was working with a client. I was on site, and I can't tell you how many various different people from different departments took it upon themselves to go to Trailhead and start learning the system. Yep. Um, so from that perspective, I think it's a win. Can I share with you a recent story with with me on that one? Okay. So relatively new client, uh, big, pretty big project, lots of non-standard stuff, and. Um, <laughs> they they they've used Salesforce to a small degree. It's a big, it's a you know multi thousands of employees company. Use Salesforce to a, to, to a small degree, um, only in a department, and so they're mm-hmm. doing this kind of more org wide kind of initiative. And so I've you know basically come up with a strategy to accomplish their requirements. Mm-hmm. And like the second week, um. Couple people pipe up in the middle of this meeting and say, "Hey, well, yeah, we took a we took Trailhead last week, and uh, we wanted we wanted to ask, ask you some questions now." So they start like they think that <laughs> they think they've learned, they think they're going to they're you know, and I don't mind being questioned at all, but they have no idea what they're talking about. But they think they do because they've done some Trailheads. Well, is I mean that that's just says Trailhead gives them a this boost is, of confidence. They feel like they know the system. What's what's the hotel that you you get smart when you stay at um, Holiday? This is the Holiday Inn Express of of enterprise tech now. <laughs> Just stay in a hotel and you're an expert. Well, I'm not going to knock it from that perspective because I think I think it's accessibility and the fact that people go in and they they feel like they're learning something and they feel confident in what they're learning that they're able to they want to they want to start challenging you. Wait, wait, John, do you you tell me that this system is designed to make you feel a certain way because that's one of the things that Benioff <laughs> says that that Facebook should get in trouble for. Because they no. hire psychologists that make you feel a certain way. I mean, this is gamified learning. I mean, it is. This is this this is everything it's built around. The fact that you want to go out and collect all these badges. I mean, it's, it's Pokemon. They you collect them all. Yep. Um, there are people that are dedicating hours and hours of their free time yeah. to collecting badges. I, you know, and I'm not. I'm not saying it's not a good way to learn. I think it's actually really cool um, that that so much content is available, and that yeah. they're you know, it's obviously like they're making this a priority. Um, well, but, but the thing is, like stretching it to be again against Salesforce, they want to they want to cradle to grave your your um, your whole career now. Well, yeah, and that's kind of where I want to make the distinction. I think it's a great learning platform. I think it's accessible. I think people get a lot of things out of it, and and because of the style of it, the the interactivity of it, the you have to do something to to, to get something. Um, you do feel like you learned something. You feel like like you're gaining. You're making progress. Yeah. Um, however. Um, it being your sole source of your, like, it becoming your your source of truth for your skill set, your resume, I, I find that problematic. I mean, that's like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're yeah, pro- letting one company control you be your resume. I mean, it's just, and also the fact that, I mean, it's, it's not like, it's not like Salesforce is a disinterested third party. I mean, their goal, in fact, if you read some of these quotes 
from the the coverage of this of this announcement, you'll see that I mean their goal is really to get is just to flood the marketplace with people with some kind of Salesforce experience. And again, and in fact, let me let me correct myself: not Salesforce experience with Trailhead experience, because now we're we're synonymizing these. Is that a word? We're synonymizing Trailhead experience with actual experience. Let me let me just keep reading. Um. We wanted to show accomplishments with ranks and badges and points earned, which are a far more indicative, or which are far more indicative of your skills than your plain text resume. See, I don't, I don't buy that because I mean, your skill skill comes from experience. It's not oh, just. I know. It's not like a, it's like a flash in the plan. Oh, I, I learned how to write my name, but I mean, I, I don't know. It's just I'm struggling with analogies because my brain is well. Is because good. You, but, listen, it's it's like the thing where like you can read as many books as you want. On whatever technology you want, but it it you know no it's it, it, it that that all falls apart when you actually go to build something. That's when you really find out what you know and what you don't know. That's when you really figure out how to apply technologies and find out where the gaps are and the holes and what you have to supplement with and how you design things, how you apply patterns to these things. You know how you composite systems and features from one system, features from another system, and to meet requirements in a way that accomplishes all all of all of the functional requirements, but also the non functional requirements. And I think what they're trying to say is that there's a module that that asks you to do that, and if you're able to accomplish that, you get the badge, and thus it goes on your resume as a skill that you have. Yeah, this is fantasy. That that's a giant charade, is all that is, or charade, as you might call it. <laughs> <laughs> is that an inside joke? <laughs> kind of. Let's see. Uh, what else? I have another article on this that had some quotes. Uh, they they're, they're paving the, the paving the road for trailhead to become an alternative to your resume, or maybe more significantly, a way to steal eyeballs from. Rival Microsoft's LinkedIn. Ooh, that's an interesting spin on the story, huh? <laughs> or it's probably obvious. I'm sure that's probably what most people think about. Yeah. Um, this gives you an opportunity to up to build up your personal brand, John. Oh, you know, I I hate this modern world of social media, and everyone is a brand, and everyone's trying to fight for popularity and do stupid stuff like eat Tide Pods. But I am really sickened by this world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're such an old man, John. I am. I am. I am a really old man. Everything's way too expensive these days. Um, kids are stupid, <laughs> and I just say, get off my lawn. Yeah, I can't wait to. <laughs> I want to be the old man whittling a piece of wood or something, telling yelling at kids to get off my lawn. I got, I got another good quote for you. Trailhead badges and skills uh, would quote make it easy for people looking for the right kind of resume and experience to know that these experiences are legitimate. Uh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna add more some some more of my experiences um, and and maybe and again this is just my experience this is all anecdotal um, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit um, I've been f- playing the field I've been I've been doing a little research out there um, let's just say I've been talking to a few people you've in, been uh, in, evaluating some opportunities I've been evaluating some opportunities um, and in doing so I've had to uh, be a part of interviews and in those interviews. Um, the, even though the questions were fairly high level, depending on who I was talking to, and some were a little more in-depth in terms of my experience and my skill, um, at no time did certifications come up, and at no time did uh, badges come up. Wow. How's that possible? I don't know. They didn't say something like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I think mainly because of the type of situations that I was looking at, it was it was for more senior experience positions, and so I I, I just wonder if if 
that you know like using trailhead as a resume might be good for for positions you're trying to fill that's maybe not more senior level. Yeah, it's entry level. And I think, or I'm, leadership level. I'm trying to find the right no, words. No, I'm not entry, trying to offend, entry level. No, entry, yeah. I think entry level is fine. I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody and say, don't do trailhead and don't don't put your badges on your resume. I mean, if, if that gets you somewhere, do it. But I'm just saying, I just think that when it came to a certain level, that wasn't what they were looking for. They were looking for someone to experience and, and leadership and all those kind of things. Uh, and that I don't think there's a trailhead for that. And maybe there is, but no one asked me about it. Yeah. Um. In terms of resume, I don't know. If this is more of a segue topic. There's some pretty cool stuff out there for resumes now. Uh, now I, see, and I haven't done a resume in I th- probably well, 15 well, years, here's, here's, so I need to be updated on so, this. So I had a couple of. I think I have. A, I think I have a Jeremy Ross resume dot doc <laughs> from Microsoft Word 92 format somewhere on my hard yeah. drive. Well, you remember back in the day, like when you had a resume, um, there was a big kind of push to streamline and um, what's the word I'm looking for. I don't know, make it thinner, um, optimize, whatever you want to call that. Optimize your resume down to one page. You right. really wanted to sell yourself on that first page. You didn't want mm-hmm. to have a recruiter, someone looking through three pages. But now in the world of technology where you have, you know, nth degree of, of space and, and recruiters have the ability to query on certain aspects of your resume and your skill sets, that seems to be going away. They seem to want to know everything about you. They mm-hmm. want all your social media accounts. They want your GitHub account. They want your LinkedIn account. In fact, in some cases, when someone asked for some resume, I was like, just go to my LinkedIn profile. It's right there. If you want to see my, go, here's my GitHub account. Isn't the, kind of the point my, of it? Right, yeah. So, so it's, it's interesting to see this world of technology kind of change how you kind of apply for jobs. It's also key to note that they do look at your social media account. So if you're a little right. punk kid doing yeah. stupid stuff like eating Tide Pods on your social media, you might want to stop doing that and delete them. Right. Because uh, your employer's going to find out yeah, and go, yeah, yeah, this guy's not someone. Um, another interesting thing was Workday. They had the best tool. I had still well, had- They a, are an HR company, so. Yeah. <laughs> they, I had just, they asked for my resume. I, I drug it onto the, uh, to the page. It, it was a Word doc. And it actually parsed it and put it in the right spots in their system. So all yeah. I had to do was kind of go through and confirm it and tweak a few things here and there. That's AI, John. <laughs> it was not an AI. It could um, be. You know, it could have been like the Mechanical Turk just working really quickly. Just read your resume real quick and pop, pop <laughs> as it as in. As soon as I popped right it fields. in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a much nicer experience, I think, some of these tools. Now, there were some tool, some companies that were really far behind the curve and they didn't have those kind of things. I was kind of annoyed. I was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. It was kind of weird. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting to kind of see this new world because um, I hadn't really been in that world in a while of kind of looking around to see what's there. Yep. Um, so I don't know. Mm. Just thought i share. Yeah. Interesting. Um, here's another one. Uh, where did they go? Oh, yeah. Um, with the inclusion of the skills graph, Salesforce Trailhead will be able to increase diversity in the company's ecosystem. Uh, back to Sarah, I think her name's Sarah Franklin. She's a mother of daughters and a woman working in technology herself. Whatever that means. So increasing, among other things, gender diversity in the technology space is important to her. The problems we have diversity, they're systemic. Uh, it's not job recruiting. To get recruited, you need a you need a four year degree. Do you? To get a four year degree, you need lots of money. Probably, it's a systemic problem that we face, and we have to change the game. Hmm. Isn't that what uh, like scholarships and Pell grants and things are for? If you don't, uh, is is the uh, article advocating that if you don't have a degree, you can't get anywhere? Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to make the connection between people who can't afford college degrees and and women and trailhead. <laughs> I don't know how does 
did they? Is there special things for women? Is, is Trailhead? Uh, is it designed uh, to be attractive to women more? Or? No, I, I don't. I think they're just trying to make the case of accessibility to learning. That that maybe you know a four year degree is is inaccessible to certain people if they don't have the money. But more women go to college than men, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what don't point either. that was trying. I, to make. I don't either. Um, I, I think it's just like a uh, what do you call it when you just like like a political drive by? You just like boom, here you go, diversity, boom. You walk off so that no one can argue. I mean, it shouldn't have to be. I mean, you shouldn't have to sell it. I mean, it, it, it's a if it's a good enough tool, enough people are using it. You shouldn't have to sell it that way. Right? I don't. Yeah, I don't see how Trailhead has anything to do with gender. But okay, yeah. whatever. Um, it's it's uh, useful for. Oh, wait, it isn't useful for just Salesforce customers. Um, people with uh, student debt, I guess, and no work experience, and parents were returning to the workforce after raising children, and people looking for a brand new career could be new uses for Trailhead. Uh, so this is this is where you know this is one of these themes of Salesforce just trying to get as many people as they can trained up as, you know, Salesforce drones and the Salesforce ecosystem drive those rates down. People are, getting too, people are getting too expensive, John. You put such a negative spin on it. I'm just saying. It's, it's, it's enabling me. It's, it's, it's empowering people to, to find a new, a new yeah. career path. Yeah. There, there's also you gotta a... You got to work on your messaging no, no. here. Okay, so the thing is, there's, you know, every... Uh, <laughs> all these different areas of skill are all... Imp- they're all markets, labor markets, right? And you have a kind of a natural stasis of supply and demand in labor markets. If if um, if demand starts getting high, uh, people are higher than supply. Then people, what the problem is, is is rates go up, right? If salaries go up, it becomes expensive to hire these people, mm-hmm. and vice versa. You know, if you roll out some trailhead thing where uh, you know people who are unskilled are from completely other things can kind of flood into, you know, do a couple of trailheads one night and, and flood into the ecosystem, then you're going to add a big supply. I'm not saying it's quality, but it's supply nonetheless. And that brings rates back down. It doesn't necessarily have to be not quality people. I mean, just, I it's just a matter no, of, I'm just, it's, it's a numbers game, right? It's a matter of just making sure that no, no, but when you bring the people, cost of ownership of sales When you, when you bring people with, with no experience uh, that are from, you know, switching careers, right? I mean, it's, I'm not saying they're low quality people. I'm just saying that it's going to, they're not going to compare well, right, with people who have like 15 years of hard-fought experience in, in a certain industry. Um, or even, you know, who have been studying it five years, or whatever. people who have actually dedicated like lots of time to that career. Um, if you have a flood of people who just don't have any experience or they, you know, didn't go to, maybe they're right out of high school, decided not to go to college or whatever, um, it's going to be a different, there's going to be a, a different uh, experience level. True, but I think the perspective that they're trying to take, or at least what I would gather their perspective, is that it's an enablement platform. It's a platform to allow someone to get their foot in the door and thus potentially build some kind of career out of that. Yeah. I, I think we're saying the same thing, maybe. I mean, Salesforce wants to enable. I, yeah, I, I think it serves... Hordes, hordes of masses of people yes. to get into this business. And I think with the purpose that that cost of on, keeping the cost of ownership of Salesforce low, because there's yeah. a there's a there's a... What's the word I'm looking for? My brain is not working. Uh, there, you're making sense so there's far? There's a plethora of oh, okay. people. There's a, that's not the word I was looking for, but there's, there's enough people in the ecosystem that obviously there's enough competition, which means that, you know, they don't have to pay you top dollar because there's plenty of other people no, who can do this. And, right. And so that means that, you know, hiring an admin is not going to cost you 300 grand a year or something, you know, because there's nobody else to do it. Right. Um, but with, with Salesforce's projected growth, mm-hmm. right? So they're 10 billion right now. They want to be 5 billion or they want to be 20 billion in another, what, few years, right? Five years, something like that. And then they, and of course, they accidentally let their 
PowerPoint slide leak that said they want to be at 40 billion by you know 2028 or something like that. Oops. So, but if they're but if they're going to come even halfway close to those goals, you know they need a lot more people. Sure. And how you know how do you? And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people probably. Well, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They already have what six, is it five million developers now? So they're probably going to need another. Oh gosh, another five million. Another one, probably another twenty million. They're going to need another, another twenty million. I mean, we're going to need basically. Um, I don't know, 30% of the American population and plus probably, you know, a good 20, 30% of the uh, international population to be in the Salesforce business if Salesforce is going to be that big. Yeah. Uh, also, Salesforce MVPs are already starting to jockey for position to be the first ones to get their chosen Trailhead URL. Oh. I'm not interested in the vanity URL. I'm not knocking anyone who has it. I'm just saying, I'm just not interested. And the final quote is, people aren't sharing business cards anymore. They're sharing URLs. <laughs> hey, John, let's go, let's go behind the building and share some URLs. I, huh? I am such an old I man. Got, hey, I got some URLs for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. I am such an old man. I am rejecting everything at this point. I'm rejecting social media. I'm rejecting all... I'm rejecting myself as a brand. I had so many... I, it, it's, it, I struggle to, to continue to, to write on my blog. I struggle to be able to kind of do certain things because I'm just so done with this idea that I have to be a brand. Why can't I just be a person with a certain skill set that's valuable to people and, and we mutually provide services? And, and I don't know. I just, I just, it seems like, it seems like the world has turned into high school. You have to be the most popular one. You have I mean, to be I, the one up there with the top. Yeah, I think it's know? because nowadays you can just get on the web and I can type in John DeSantiago and I can I can see your Twitter profile, your Facebook, your all you know your Trailhead resume, all these things, right? So it kind of is a brand. I mean, I I guess the reason why you could minimize that is because yeah, yeah, I guess you have a brand, but so do you know seven billion other people in the world. So. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's the fact that I'm older and I've got experience, and you know, someone younger who's competing against everyone else who's who's publicly accessible you know maybe maybe it takes a different type of person yeah these days um did you um did you have you read any of the i guess what do they call them release notes for uh no i'm really behind what's the next release called do we even know i don't spring spring 18 spring right? 18 but do they did they give them no they call them thought they gave them names they might i don't know if they've done it for this one yet oh no it's it's icons they give them isn't it like the bear with um leaves or something that's the new icon, I think. They should have one of a. They should have an one that's like a bear <laughs> in the woods, right? Because then that would finally answer our questions about that. <laughs> the bear has a name, doesn't it? Don't you know that you know the saying, right? No. Oh my gosh! Don't. You never heard that? Does a bear <laughs> in the woods? <laughs> no, I've never heard this. Wow. Does a okay? Google that. At some point. I, I, I don't know if I want to. Okay. What, what am I going to see if I Google that? So let me see what Urban Dictionary has to say about that. Uh, it's, a, it, um, uh, it's employed sarcastically to imply that the answer to the question being posed is indubitably yes. So when someone answers a, or asks you a question that's like the answer is obviously yes, you reply with, well, does a bear shit? Oh. You get it? I get it now. Okay. Okay. In that context, I get it now. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I feel like Salesforce, with their next release, they should answer that question for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, probably shouldn't promote a Salesforce thing at this moment after talking about that. So let's let's talk about the UI API. UI API? Yeah, have you heard of this? No. I don't think it's new, but I think it's, re- well, I think it's relatively new. Uh, either that or it is new, but it's in the, it's in the release notes and I saw some people linking to it. 
And uh, it looks interesting. It looks like it's something... I was hoping you knew something about it, because I don't. No. But it looks like it's... Um, okay, I've got, a, I've got an analogy here, I guess. Okay. So have you ever worked with the... What do they call it? The Chatter API, I guess. Chatter REST, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. A little bit, yeah. So it's, it is unlike the normal Salesforce API, which is like a CRUD. just like, hey, we access records from database tables. The Chatter API is all built around use cases. So you're not, you don't query like, uh, you don't send like SQL queries and things. You, you deal with feeds and posts and um, it's all, it's all contextual and it's, it's designed so that you could, it was designed to cater to someone who's like building like a chatter client in a web browser, basically. Mm-hmm. It's all REST and JSON and I think, and, uh, but anyway, all, all the calls all that you can make are all, are all based on use cases. And it looks like that's what this UI API is, but just for general Salesforce. Huh. I mean, there's got there's calls that return both data and metadata in did I say that weird? Metadata? I feel like I said that weird. Sorry. But the, you know, like a lot of the calls will turn data return data and meta metadata. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I know. Okay. It's a combination result in one call to get you all the stuff you need in one call versus having to make a metadata call, a data call for this, a data call for that, right? Hmm. Into these different REST endpoints. Does um, it also hook into the caching routines? I think it might, but I'm not sure. So this is for you. This is for UIs, whether it's, I think, uh, like a browser UI, a browser-based mm-hmm. UI, or a mobile UI, I think is would be the, a good use case for it. Well, this is interesting because I actually might have something coming up soon that I could leverage this with. Um, so well, maybe check it out. Then later I'll get check some it out and report back. <laughs> I want to I want to play with it too. It looks it looked interesting. No, I mean I really have something. I mean I I just logged. I just found the documentation on it. I'm kind of reading a little bit as you're talking. Uh, but yeah, it sounds like something I might be able to use. I saw a claim that this is the this is the API that the the Lightning developers use or that Lightning's built on or something like that. Yeah, that's what it says. Um, uh, UI for native mobile apps and custom web apps using the same API that Salesforce uses to build Lightning experience in Salesforce for Android, iOS, mobile, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So um, uh, you not only get data and metadata in a single response, the response matches metadata changes to the org by Salesforce admins. Um, so yeah, I'm assuming that hooks into, well, that's weird. How would it, that's weird. Well, mm. is there some kind of proxying going on? Because I mean, what, one of the issues I have with um, Lightning, and it's gotten better, a lot better, but it's still there, is as you make metadata changes, the changes don't happen because there's yeah. no actual calls. So I don't think what? this is really hooking into some kind of caching routine. I just think the meta, the meta, yeah, your component is also cached. So it's not really querying a cached repository. It's just, this is the way it is at this state. Nothing's changed. So and I don't, my guess is it's not about surfacing real-time changes to meta to metadata. No, no. I, I just think it's more about instead of, because if you're going to, re- like, say you're going to dynamically render a screen right. that you didn't hard code, right? Right. You need the data for that screen, and you also need, like, layout data, field data, data types, all that kind of stuff. And I mm-hmm. think it just, it, you know, bundles that up into one kind of response and gives you that all at once so to reduce the number of round-trip calls and Yeah, I mean, kind of the, the URL for this looks really simple. So, I mean, this looks like it'll be... It, Looks like it'll be pretty fun to use. Another new thing that someone pointed out to me in the Slack um, is uh, is uh, something I was talking about a week or two ago. The what was I doing? Or was I? Maybe I was asking on Slack, but I basically um, do, doing some integration type stuff and mm-hmm. want to get as real time as possible notifications about certain data that's changed in Salesforce. Sure. 
And so there's a lot of options for that. I mean, there's the the original kind of <clears throat> replication API, which is just part of the Salesforce SOAP API. Or you can just do queries like based on last modified, show me anything that's changed. Right, replication API, there's no... You're just talking about polling the SOAP no, API? No, yes, but there's a there's a there's a handful of calls that Salesforce bundles up and calls the replication API. So the, have you ever used like the get updated, get right. deleted? Because those are part yeah. of the replication API. I think they're published as a part of the same WSDL that's the just the there. Okay, yeah, standard SOAP API. Um, so you can, you know that's kind of the old way to do it, and you can you know depending on how many types of things you want to track changes on and how often you want to get updates. I mean, you could, you know, you're looking at anywhere from a few hundred to, tha- you know, oh, I think, up, you know, again, you could be in the tens of thousands of API calls just to like, query, let's say, for once a minute to a, a dozen or two ob- objects. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they've got this, you know, all this new streaming stuff. So there's the streaming API, which right. is not all that new. That's probably, gosh, a good five years old easily. And then that's all, all these things are basically kind of streaming slash comet, you know, long polling based. Mm-hmm. Um, there's oh, what are they called? Events, right? Platform events. But those are inbound, not outbound. Well, you can. Oh no, 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 no you, you can you, outbound. Yeah, you can. Yeah. You you can listen basically on like a comet type of thing yeah. for platform events. Yeah. By the by event type, I believe. Um, but those have some overhead. I mean, that for this use case seemed not ideal. Like you, I don't want to have to create you know a new type of platform event and then and then. Be responsible for creating triggers that publish and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When the streaming API already does that, it kind of just you just give the streaming API a query, like yeah. select ID from account or whatever, and it just it's gonna anytime anytime that query would result in a change to the results, you get you know it sends an event down the pipe to you. But there's this new thing; it's called like the data change API, and it's closest to the streaming API, I think. Except you don't have to even create a push because with streaming API you have to create a push topic that mm-hmm. that is backed by a query. Well, with the data change API, you just say, um, I think it's like slash data slash account or slash data slash contact. And it's just like an automatic, It's you don't have to set up any query or push topic. That is the, the kind of the listening endpoint. And there's no other setup, I think, involved in that. Huh. Uh, only reason I'm not using that right now is because I'm building production stuff and it's, it's still in uh, pilot, which means that they could get rid of it. They could start charging some ridiculous amount for it, whatever, you know, probably don't, probably not a great idea to... It seems really open ended, though. It's just you know data change on an object, almost almost similar to a trigger. Do you get kind of context of what changed? Is that the purpose of it? Because I mean, otherwise, what purpose does it serve? In addition to it's, streaming API, it's, that's a, that's oh what well what's different about it is I think it's just simpler. Um, hmm. And I don't I don't really know. Yeah, push topics you can get real granular on your query, and you can say, I mean, it would be nice to have some kind of external event that that mimicked trigger functionality that said a change happened on this account and here's the change and here's what it used to look like is this something you want to consume i mean that yeah cuz one of the, one of the big considerations is how many api calls you're using right and when you create the socket to listen for events that's just basically counted as one call and you just keep that open mm-hmm. what salesforce does track is the number of events they send down the pipe to you but it's like a million it's in the it's measured in the millions not like whereas API column to start at 5,000. Mm-hmm. So for that use case, when you want to get real-time changes to particular, especially if it's a lot of objects, I mean, if you want to get real-time changes to like say 100 objects and you want to be, you want to query once a second, I mean, that's a lot of API calls. Yeah. Um, but no, there's, um, what else? There's, um, gonna, where was I going with that? So anyway, there's that data change API, but there's also, we've talked about the composite API for, which is part of their REST, collection of REST APIs. Mm-hmm. And I haven't used it recently, but on the 
I worked on a what was this? Um, it was a it was a browser in browser app, kind of like a <clears throat> I think it was like an Angular app or something. But I used made heavy use of this comp- like these composite APIs. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the different types. There's like there's batch and there's like a couple of others that oh there's the tree was one of them. So you can mm-hmm. let's say you've got an uh, um I don't know an account like with account a parent account contact. and have some contacts. You can just like submit them all as a tree and it just handles all the relationships for you. It's really nice. You can actually you can also send like you I, there's a there's a pat name for this pattern, but you kind of make your own tokens for like temporary IDs and then in <laughs> in the call that you send to Salesforce, you can refer to those temporary IDs for other things that are going to need to be related to other things in that call. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that makes any sense or not. But no, they made changes to this composite API. They've added something called collections, S-object collections. And I'm not sure, the use cases seem to be really overlapping, but basically there's, you can, because think about REST, like in, in, um, like with REST, like with a, let's say you want to access an account, you're going to access that at like slash accounts, slash, you know, some ID, 001, blah, 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 right? Mm Mm-hmm. What if you want to access four accounts? Well, that's four different calls because it's four different endpoints, right. four different URLs. And with collections, you can do, you can like, you can do, a, I think, a get and pass. Um, it's, it, and this is, again, instead of doing a query, and I'm not, this is why I'm not sure how totally this is different, but you can, um, you can just pass the, the IDs that you want. It's almost like a retrieve call, I guess, similar to mm-hmm. like the retrieve call. But there's also, you can post and patch and do multiple things if they're of the same S object type. Again, you can do that. See, I think maybe is is batch. Do they have to be all the same S object type? Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. So maybe that's what's well. So this does too. So and again, and it, I don't know. I think just in some cases, this is this is a simpler API to use than, than some of the other collection uh, resources. So I don't know. So just worth, kind of a, worth a, a look maturing at, of it. Maybe so. It, and it it doesn't. I'm not seeing here how. They're not really spelling out to me how what the kind of the, what the use case would be. It's different, c- different from the existing collection API or sorry, composite API. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you're doing that kind of stuff, it's uh, I think it's worth a look. All right, um, let's let's talk about the what are we calling the day after Trailhead? We have a name for it. The extracurricular. Yeah, so that's a tentative name, I guess. The the extracurricular. Better uh, not be tentative. Yeah. Well. I don't know. We do we have to bleep that because <laughs> you just said it. Um, so we we have somewhat of an update, and also just want to remind people. So it it is we 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 have some level of confidence that this is going to happen. I'm not sure if it's for sure yet, but I think I think the confidence is pretty high. Yeah, um, it's definitely if it happens, will be the day after sales after trail, Trailhead, right? Right, um, which is what March Friday? 30th. That's Friday. Friday. Yep, Friday the 30th, March 30th. So again, please adjust your travel plan so that you can come to this. Um, the idea is it's it's totally a community event, and it's not it's not a substitute for a Trailhead or an alternative to or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. really an additional thing. It's an it's more of like an add on to Trailhead. That's more that's instead of being put put on by Salesforce, it's put on by the community. Now I do think we're going to have Salesforce people involved, and I think Salesforce is going to um, help us do this um, to some degree. But it is independent from Salesforce. It's not. This is not put on by Salesforce. Um, so there's. Uh, I think there's some details that we need to we need to share about it though, right? Which is number one, we are looking for speakers. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, about the format so people can get an idea if they're interested or not. Yeah. So we think they're. You know, the idea is that we'll have you know anywhere from three to six speakers, and uh, 
the idea is that you'll you'd give a you know twenty to thirty minute talk about something that's something real, like a real project that you that was that was interesting, that you you know had some novel use of Salesforce technologies or combined technologies or solved you know problems in some interesting way that's that you want to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is, you know, take 20 or 30 minutes to do that, walk through the, the project, explain things, show things, whatever. I, th- I think this is the idea is we're going to have, especially going to be a one-track thing. So we'll have one room probably, and I, I'm hoping, you know, I think we're, we'll probably have, um, I didn't ask, but, you know, projector and, right, you can, so you can show. And imagine so. Yeah, so this yeah. is going to be a show and tell thing. And then, and then after that, uh, we'll have a 20 to 30 minute period where it's kind of going to be a panel. In fact, the panel might be of, of the other speakers. So that's mm-hmm. part of uh, the consideration here. Where uh, we just discuss, and the panel gets to ask questions and really dig deeper, and and they can share their experiences, contrast things, or whatever. Um, so that's the idea, you know. Again, kind of three to to six of those. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're interested in in sharing, uh, in in being a, a speaker, sharing a story, then you need to let someone know because we <laughs> we need, <laughs> you know, we need to we need to get basically it's it's a call for papers, right? So right. the question is, John, is how do people submit their <laughs> that is a good question because that's something we're still working on. Um, but I think I think for now the best place is to join our Slack community. Um, we have a separate planning. How do how channel. do you join the Slack community, John? The Good Day Sir Slack community. <laughs> Go to www.gooddaysirpodcast.com. Uh, you can do forward slash community, or you can click on the the menu link community. Uh, put your email address in, and I will manually add you. Right. Um, so be patient if it doesn't immediately happen, because I do vet them all. I I did. At one point, was going to automate that, and then I saw a bunch of bad emails come through that looked like spamming yeah, stuff. So I yeah. decided I'm just going to own it. Yeah. So everyone gets vetted, right? <laughs> so yeah, I would I would say um, join the the Slack, and uh, we're gonna we'll have we're talking about it there. Um, but yeah, be thinking about it because we we definitely we're going to need um, speakers. What else? What else do we need to share about this? Um, I it, just in terms of the scheduling, it, it, we are looking at Friday the thirteenth. We're uh, Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> Friday the thirtieth <30th. laughs> uh, in the morning. So I think the intent is that we would kind of take up the morning so that the in the evening um, those who need to travel can can travel out. So I think it's primarily going to be focused around the morning time. Um, but of course, we'll try to solidify that more. But I know it's you know it's only a few months out, and people need to kind of arrange their travel. So I think you know we're mainly trying to focus on the morning. We're definitely starting in the morning so that. If you do have an evening flight, you could come for the morning part and then uh, head out. Um, <clears throat> but depending on how many speakers we get, I think it definitely could be morning and afternoon. But mm-hmm. you know, if you can only catch the morning, it's better than nothing. But yeah, this is basically it's the idea here is that this is it's kind of a user group thing. It's almost like a user group of user groups in a way, mm-hmm. just totally community driven. So we'll have a I think the idea is we'll have a meetup link where people can uh, just register to come because we need to get an idea of how many people will be coming. And we also may even have a, a website for this thing at some point, but the, um, I think we'll have a lot more information next week. Yeah, a lot of this is going to get put together this week. Um, the website, probably a place to register, a place to kind of submit interest in speaking. We'll, we'll get all that up and running. But yeah, definitely, if, if you're looking to solidify your travel plans, you know, keep us in mind. I'd also say, since we really don't know where to send this yet, if you do, if you do um, want to um, put your name in the hat for sharing uh, your story and being a speaker. Go ahead and send an email to info at gooddaysirpodcast.com and we will get that where it needs to go. But again, more information next week, but the, the most important takeaways today are call for papers and save the date. Fix your travel schedule. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I had one more thing I want to talk to you about, John, which is that, uh, and this may not be that new. I'm not sure. But PowerShell is now available for 
I, I think the news is Mac, I, I, but maybe Linux too. Hmm. Uh, yeah, all basically all platforms. Interesting. And yeah, and I find this very fascinating. I uh, do, you, do you do much PowerShell? No. And I, you know, I was hoping that. Uh, my, of course, the the cat's out of the bag on this one. Um, <laughs> but I was hoping that that's probably not not the right uh, saying. But it's uh, the the train has left the station. I think is a better metaphor. Um, but, you know, sales, or uh, Microsoft decided to you know invent their own improved. I say improved from what was it before? Just DOS, right? They're they're a better shell programming situation. Would have been better, I think, if they just ad- adopted Bash. But considering that they're not POSIX, or at least, well, actually, gosh, isn't. I feel like Windows does have a POSIX sub subsystem. At least NT did, or like the Windows 2000, all that series did. Yeah. Anyway, but no, they you know so PowerShell is a thing. Um, a lot of people like it. Um, I don't think it's a good programming language, and I don't think it's a good shell language either. It's, <laughs> I, but it's kind of cool that um, again, this is part of the new Microsoft that they're porting like all these core things to run on any platform. I mean, I'm sitting here running. You know, SQL Server in a Docker container. Now I can do PowerShell, or I can. And and the the thing that for me that's inter- interesting about that is, if you are going to have a bunch of .NET people doing PowerShell scripts, mm-hmm. just like if you if someone sends me a Bash script, I can run it. If they run me send me a C shell script, I can run it right because I've got all these shells installed. Well, now if someone sends me a PowerShell script, I'll be able to run it. And that's I'm not going to write my own PowerShell scripts because I again, or at least I don't think I will because I'm I'm just I I was born with the, you know, the, uh, the, the bash style scripting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what I've done my whole life and I'm not going to change for better or worse. Um, but just the ability to, to do PowerShell. And again, again, just this idea that Microsoft is, in, is melting down the silos between platforms. Very interesting. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's great. I, I love seeing this stuff come because of the Mac, especially being a, for the most part, for most of my career, a fairly heavy Microsoft guy. <laughs> Um, .NET and everything, and so you know, seeing these tools come over is is encouraging. But you d- you don't do a PowerShell, I, you know i I did, but on min- limited usage. You know, I wasn't really big on doing a lot in the command command line. I still still would just kind of code my way through life. Well, I mean, PowerShell is more of a it's it's a little bit more of a programming language than like your typical Bash. Oh, stuff I know. Is. I mean, you can you can do a lot with it. And it, but again, I just you know, I'd always just open up my I wish I had some good quotes here. Do Um, some stuff. Let's see. Uh, Yeah, PowerShell PowerShell Core, I guess, runs on, of course, Windows 7, 8, and 10, all all the Windows servers, Um, Ubuntu, Debian, CentOS, Red Hat, all the Linuxes, and with Mac uh, Mac 10.12 and up. Am I on 10.12? What am I on? I'm on 10 something. So that's Sierra and up. So Sierra and high Sierra. Hi, Sierra. Um, Cancel. That sounded too familiar. Huh? Uh, Yeah. I'm afraid that woke up some people's phones. Oh, I see. (laughs) By the way, if I say hi in my wife's name, Uh that that turns on Siri. Really? Yep. Huh. Um, Yeah. So apparently the PowerShell is still like very slow on other. On like on Linux, so here's someone did an example where like they did a oh what they do some command that they sent to oh just an just an ls right they sent they did one with PowerShell and one with um I guess just sh which is uh, what was 
It was the the born shell, I guess. Right. Yeah. And on PowerShell, it took 0.8 seconds. And with the born shell, it took 0.01 seconds. So I don't know, order of magnitude slower. But that kind of stuff can be fixed, though. They'll they'll mm-hmm. they'll improve that, I think. Uh, anyway, all right. So check that out if you're into the Microsofty type things and you're running on Linux or a Mac. What else, John? What's on your mind? I'm getting sleepy. I have a few things, but I'm getting really sleepy. Yeah, I feel like you're done. Plus, we I, have after show. We have after show, and well, I, I do want to ask you one thing. It's it's kind of a coding topic, so I'll save my other stuff for later. But I'll ask this one thing. But I am hitting a wall. Sorry, Uh-oh. I've been. I was up since four. So. You look like it. I know. Yeah. No, I was working till four, and then I tried to grab a bit of sleep, and it's not working. I don't. I would um, not even be alive right I, now if I were you. So I'm going to admit to doing something weird, and it's either I'm a genius or I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> there's no in between. <laughs> are, we, are we taking bets on the, on which one it is? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so so I have a managed package, and this package uh, is highly declarative, meaning all the code and everything I writ writ wrote um, is meant to not have any dependency on anything, and so that caused a problem because it is meant to interact ultimately with S objects at some point. Um, so in order to test the full stack and uh, do an integration test, so to speak, beyond my unit testing, I needed something to target, and this was going to be in a managed package. Uh, typically, if I'm in a client's org or something, I'll just write my test against a standard object like the account. I'll say, like, if it's a roll-up routine, I'll be like, oh, roll up like this account, mock account value to the account. Right. Or from the contact to the mm-hmm. account. Um, but I was like, well, I don't, I can't really do that in this managed package. Why can't you? Because in a managed package, you can access standard objects. You can. But then, I, but then I was like, okay, well, now... If I do that, what if there's some requirement on there and like this field is required and now I have to I have to deal with all this other stuff. So tests don't have to pass. Don't, tests don't have to even run in the subscribers org or the installers org. Okay. And again, so this is just this right. is just the first time situation that came up for me. So if I'm doing this completely wrong, you know, you can tell me. Um, <laughs> so what I did in my mind to get around this issue is I just created an object. I called it my mock object. Uh, and this afforded me a couple of things. Did you call it my mock? I just called it mock, mock object. Okay. I literally called it mock object. Um, and I, I, fi- I figured, okay, this should be non-intrusive. It's in a namespace, so it's not going to impact someone else's. I'm not like bloating their org with extra objects. It, it's not going to bloat data because it's really only there for unit testing. Um, so that allowed that gave me a target to, to for my unit test to interact with. And it bought me a couple other things. Because I needed to be able to deal with different data types and handle any kind of errors with those data types, I was able to kind of create fields that represented that. So I could create a phone field. I can create an email field. And like normally, I'd have on a your, text field. On your mock object? On my mock object. Yeah. So I can, I can create like a, a field for me to do some Boolean or some static or a formula. You rubbing and around? It's my jacket. Sorry. Oh, it's loud. Sorry. I'll try not to move. I'm being animated. I'm I know to... you are. <laughs> We're both in here wearing jackets because it's 64 degrees in this office. <laughs> I'll try to sit still. It might affect my speech. Um, so, so I was like, you know what, this is kind of working out. I have this little mock object that I can interact with and I can, if I need to set up something that, that normally is a native way of Salesforce handling something like Salesforce's way of handling email addresses. Normally I have some kind of like regex expression, but now I just kind of chunk it in there and, you know, I'll I'll create a bad email and let Salesforce tell me it's bad Mm -hmm. when I run my test. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm okay with this. But I don't know. I put it to you. Is, was that smart? Or was that dumb? <laughs> well, so that has to be. That's part going to be part of your package. That object will get installed. Yeah, I don't like that, but it's not the end of the world either. I mean, if it's 
if it solves a problem that otherwise can't be solved, I guess it's kind of pragmatic. I don't like, know that it can't be solved. It just, I felt cleaner about it. I, well, I, I don't feel cleaner about it. I do feel bad about it in a certain way because it's this object that's hanging there that has no other function other than to serve unit testing. Um, but at the same time, I was like, okay, my code is extremely isolated. I'm not dependent on any kind of standard object. I'm not dependent on anything else other than my code and my objects. Um, so from that perspective, I felt good about my so isolation. My mock, my code, and my objects. <laughs> I felt good in my isolation. I felt good about my isolation um, in the code. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I need to go and refactor and take that out. But um, at the time, in, in my uh, uh, state of mind, uh, running on very little sleep, I felt like it was a good option. Hey, I've seen way, way, way more uh, or way worse things done. Yeah. So, well, I'm curious. So, so if you're out there in the community and want to want to tell me that I did something really stupid and here's why, get no, no, no the this, these guys that me. do ISV stuff, they know there are so many tricks you have to know to to in real life doing real managed packages. You know that 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 get shipped and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many little tricks and crap you got you got to know. So I'm sure someone will chime in and let us know because we do have some uh, IS, we do have some ISV types that uh, are in the community. All right, John. That's all I got. Oh. And you're about to fall asleep. I am, or, or piss yourself like last week. One of the two. I'm not no, sure. no, I'm I'm good. <laughs> you're good. Yeah. You get on the urine front. I didn't have any whiskey. That's usually what <laughs> makes me have to go. Uh, all right. Well, and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Okay. Well, let's uh, get down to business here. I got a I got a fun beer, John. Good. This is from that's what I this need, is from um, Funky Buddha in Miami or Fort Lauderdale, wherever they are. Oh. And it's the maple bacon coffee porter. Awesome. That sounds delicious. <laughs> I knew you'd like it. But you also have a treat that you've brought that I think will pair well with this. Can you share what that is? <laughs> uh yeah. So um for those who do not like our beer talk, I thought we'd do something a little bit different. Hang on, I have to irritate Jody. Jody M. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my equivalent of the cork pop. That's all I got. Oh, so you're allowed to do it, but I'm not anymore. Yeah, well, I'd be, I feel like I should get to do it once. <laughs> um, so for those who do not like our beer talk, I thought I'd give you something different that we could talk about, and that is chocolate. Ch- uh, however, chocolate. I offer up one compromise. This is beer chocolate. Yeah, this is interesting. <laughs> so this is, this is from a company called Moonstruck. Um, they're in Oregon. Um, so what they did is they partnered with Oregon craft brewers, my, gra- my grass, my glass, <laughs> uh, to, to make a collection of chocolates, uh, truffle chocolates that are based on beer. Um, and so the beers that they based it on are uh, Deschutes uh, Black Butte Porter, Full Sail Brewing's IPA, tr- or, I'm trying to cut off the truffle part, uh, Rogue's uh, Ale, uh, Hazelnut Brown Nectar, and Whitmer Brothers uh, Hefeweizen. So these are the beer. These are the chocolates that that I'm curious about to see if they taste. Now I'm not sure. Now, are, they, are they made with the beer? They're made from the beer. And see, the, that's what I was trying to figure out because um, it just says they teamed up to build, develop these rich, full body collections. So I'm not sure if it's that it actually has the beer in it, or if these are flavor profiled to be like those beers. So like if it's like a I don't know, hazelnut beer, it's got hazelnut in it, or if it's you know whatever. So we're gonna try. Interesting. Uh, in fact, I'll let. I'll let uh, Jeremy set up his flight of chocolates. <laughs> and they were shaped like bottles. Yeah, right? they are. Oh, well, how do I do this, John? Aren't you going to take... I thought, thought you would take yours, and then I would... Oh, so... I Wait a minute. How am I... Okay, do I just take one of each? Is yeah, I'll take okay. one of each. Okay. Do you want a box to put them in? Uh, yeah. So, have anything over here? Yeah. 
So uh, while you're doing that, this beer smells awesome. It smells like uh, pancakes, you know, maple syrup, breakfast pancakes. Hey, that one doesn't have a top on it. What else? Do you get any bacon? I do. I do. It's a little fake tasting to me, if I'm being honest. Maybe well, it, just, being it does kind of, it tastes like, um, now the maple, t- the maple part of it tastes legit. It's the kind of that odd bacon taste. It's almost like, um, it's not getting much bacon. You know, it tastes like it tastes, I, I'll admit I do this sometimes. Um, <laughs> get a piece of bacon, you dip it in the, the syrup. <laughs> you you kind of like have oh, that's more good. syrup yeah. than bacon. You can, you can get maple bacon. Yeah, I know it's like candied bacon, but this is like just literally dipping it in the syrup and you get more syrup than bacon. So you get like it, it, that's what this tastes like to me. Oh, this tastes like beer, John. This chocolate is hoppy. <laughs> is it? Yes. <laughs> so which one did you try? Cause I want, I want to try the same ones you try. The one with no cap on it. I think it had the yellow cap. There's no yellow cap. No, this one was missing the cap. Oh, well, why but you- it was, it was from that row with the yellow. Well, here, take the cap. What? What? The cap then is not a different, is it? I don't know. I don't think so. The cap's just regular chocolate. Well, the cap is white chocolate. I think there's beer in these. All right, I'm sure you have to talk. All right. Let's talk about AirPods. A little follow-up on those. Okay. It came apart. I had to put the whole thing in my mouth. Um. <laughs> you okay? I'm trying to taste it and chew right. this massive thing. So Thomas pointed out to me that the there's a little um well there's an iOS dashboard which I hardly ever use and I and I'm glad you pointed this up. But it's got a battery widget on there that does show the AirPods. Oh right. But that prompted me to actually get my dashboard in order and actually use it. So thank you. Oh, so you're actually using the dashboard now? Yep. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I've I actually configured it a little bit and want to. I want you know, yeah. That's one of those things you have to get in the habit of using it because I I figured it's there. You have to like swipe to be on the home screen and swipe to the right, right. Or you can be on the lock screen, I think, and also swipe to the right. I'm not sure. Something like that. Yeah, I think if you're on the home screen, you can swipe to the right and it's there, or you can. But if yeah, yeah, and it's one of those things. If you don't know it's there, if you or if you just don't, if you're not in the habit of doing that, you kind of forget it's there and you don't use it. I use it quite often. Um, Speaking of AirPods, Stephen with Noe. <laughs> um, he said that you had said that the AirPod was wireless charging, but I, it, I think I don't. I could be wrong. I think if you set this on a wireless charger, okay. It charges. So you're so you're wrong in that. Okay. The next release, um, the next update will have that. And what you'll be able to do is they've, they've announced that. Yeah. What you'll be able to do is is so I these think, are already obsolete. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get there. Okay. Uh, so the the AirPods themselves, I don't think, are changing much. It's just the case will offer wireless charging. So you'll be able to get a new case if you yeah. wanted the wireless charging to put them in. Um, I don't know how much that's going to be, but essentially you'll be able to still use your AirPods, but just get a new case so that it can charge. I wireless. mean, my phone doesn't charge wirelessly, so why would I want anything else to? Plus, I mean, this has a lightning. It's fine. It, it takes like 30 minutes to charge completely. Yeah, from so. my understanding, it doesn't take long. What um, else? He, he said on a separate note, oh. um, he sent us a link to the Salesforce Tower. And one of these chocolates is really hoppy. The first one I had... The one with the yellow cap. Really? That didn't seem as, as hoppy. I was expecting more. Really? Yeah. It's got a lot of hop. Was that the Hefeweizen? No, that was the uh, Full Sail IPA. Hefeweizen? 
The Hefeweizen is the um, Widmer. Widmer? Widmeyer? Right, okay. Um, Here, let me let you have the box. So I also realized, as a part of, because, you know, you can do, you can control some of the AirPod stuff with your with an Apple Watch, right? So I was talking about the now playing screen that's got the the skip backwards, skip forwards, or or rewind, fast forward, right? It's also got the pause play. You're listening to me or not? Yeah. <clears throat> but also, you mentioned that the you thought the the crown did volume, and I it was not doing volume for me. But I also realized that I was on an old watch. So I was on I was still on Watch OS four dot zero, like the original one. Oh, it's now up to four dot two or four dot two dot two or something. So I upgraded, um, and my watch is a little faster now. But also, it does the volume works, so I can control vo- the AirPod volume with the Crown. Oh, so you couldn't before? Because I mean, I just I nope. always keep my watch up to date, for better for worse. And um, so yeah, I use that feature all the time, especially when I'm driving. You know why? I'm, you know why I'm bad about keeping my watch up to date? Because it takes forever. It takes like two hours. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's stupid. Um. Yeah. What I hate is when you when you set it up to to update and. I got into this weird situation where it wouldn't update. It kept trying to, and it would lock up for like an hour or 30 minutes trying to uh, validate the the update and then never updated. And I was like, crap. And yep. I did like for like three nights in a row and it finally updated. That Yeah. I also think if I'm going to commit to AirPods, I think I might want to get a new watch, unfortunately. So this is the most expensive gift anyone's ever given me. <laughs> The gift that keeps, because it's that just keeps too on. slow. It's too slow. Raise my watch, and it you know it takes a minute for the now playing screen to even show up. And then yeah. when it does, it's not actually it can want, can't take any input from you for ten seconds. Well, my fear is that I'll buy a new version, and then the next year they'll come out with a new form factor, or yeah, a new design. I was thinking about buying like a series two or something on eBay for cheap if I can. Hmm. All right, which one are we on? I know you're not into chocolate. Oh, no, I've already I've already gone through all of them. <laughs> all right, so what's your opinion then? I don't know. They're good. They all taste a little different, I guess. I didn't really like hyperanalyze these, which I know is weird for me. But yeah, no. They're yummy. They're like truffle material, whatever that is. Yeah. I think the outside is just regular chocolate, but it's the truffle that has the flavoring. Yeah. Um. What else? Hmm. I mean, they're good. St- oh, and you get hints of, of that kind of flavoring of them, but. I can't say it's really stand out. I mean, I'm surprised about how much how much flavoring is there, but I don't know. I don't either. I mean, they're, they're tasty. One of them does taste like, it actually tastes like spent hops, if you've ever tasted spent hops after a, after a brew. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I, uh, I have just, I've also discovered, John, that I cannot use the AirPods with my computer. And I don't think that's the fault of the AirPods. I think it's the... Uh, I think it's it's either the Mac, MacBook hardware or it's the OS. But it, it, it works if I'm just listening. So if I like, say I'm playing music with the AirPods for my computer, right. everything's fine because I also have a Bluetooth keyboard and a Bluetooth mouse. So these are you know, three Bluetooth things. Actually, not counting my watch, although I don't think my watch is paired to the computer. But as soon as the mics turn on, like I'm on a call, like I use Skype or something. So now Bluetooth, it's got to engage Bluetooth to send, you know, the my vocal stream back to the computer. Right. That's just too much, and everything starts locking up. All the Bluetooth devices start freezing. And they'll even unpair. I'd like re- I had this weird thing once where it, it wouldn't, pair, um, the AirPods would not communicate with anything anymore. And I had to, like, do the kind of the hard 
little one minute press on the button on the back to just completely shut them down and reset everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just I can't use them for my headset, my computer. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a bummer. But I think you know I think that's the fault of my computer. Yeah, I I don't know if, I don't know if I want to say it's a hardware thing or if it's a software thing. I'm hoping it's a software thing because that's something that can be addressed. However, well, they didn't fix it on Sierra, and say, High Sierra is even worse. I was, was going to say it seems like it's it's a problem they've been chasing with Bluetooth for a while now. So maybe it's a combination of them trying to solve a hardware problem with software, and maybe in the next you know change up of you know chip specs and everything, it'll it'll get better. I don't know. Yeah, but I do have a lot of Bluetooth connectivity issues. Yeah, I always have, I have, even just with keyboard and mouse, I have too many disconnects, more disconnects than I want. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I don't know, once or twice a day is, is the typical. But, and it's well, only for like five seconds, but sometimes, but it's usually the worst. I'm like, I'm demoing on a call or something and it goes out. Yeah. I, I actually hook up my, um, be careful when you say this, Echo, um, hooked up as an external speaker to my, to my system every so often. And even that, it, it goes through Bluetooth, but uh, even that, Depending on the scenario, the situation, or I don't know what, I don't know the position of the moon, it'll start to stutter, and I actually have to physically disconnect, meaning shut down the the Bluetooth connection, and then reconnect so to get that stutter to stop. Um, so it definitely points to some kind of communication issue where it might still be communicating, but it's dropping connectivity intermittently. Yeah, and so that could be a lot of the issues. And also, and again, I don't know if this is the fault of the AirPods or just Bluetooth in general, because Bluetooth in general really sucks when it comes to headsets. Keyboard and mouse has been okay for me for for years now in my experience. Headsets have always been a pain in the butt, especially if you use the headset with more than one, if you have it paired to more than one device. Just getting it to switch and you need, when you need to and all that kind of stuff really sucks. Yeah. Um, the AirPods are better about that. It's still glitchy, though. Like, I've... They had the problem where, like, one of the pods was paired to my computer and the other one was paired to my phone and I couldn't get it to... I had put... I had, you know, grabbed my phone. I was hit play on my podcast app and I could not get the other AirPod to pair with my phone. It was still playing stuff from my computer. I'm like, how, what do I do? Help. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess, I guess part of me was hoping you'd be able to use them for any situation, but I also kind of thought, you know, what, if the battery life is an issue, then, you know, he might, he might just end up using his regular headphones on his computer. You know, the, battery life, the battery life I can manage. Yeah. I mean, it is, you just, oh, by the way, I don't think I followed up on this either. I did discover though that, it, yeah, it's documented. So the the AirPods, if you're just listening to music, you have about a five hour battery life. Hmm. Um, if you if the mics are engaged, you've you know like you're on a call or whatever, right? It's uh, two hours. But what the what people do seem to do the the compromise here is if you're going to be on calls and you want to use your <clears throat> AirPod, you just use one and you keep the other one on the battery charger. I noticed you doing that the other day. I yeah. meant to ask you, and then like an hour or an hour and a half in, you then switch. you just switch them, and because they only take like five minutes to charge. So like by the but after five minutes after switching, they're they're both pretty much charged up anyway, so. And both have mics? They both have mics, yep. So you could extend that time to, you know, four hours, right? If each is like it, two hours? No, it can be in- infinite because you can just, Oh, because you just, you just keep one out. in, yeah. Oh, yeah, very smart. But, you know, I'm usually, I usually need my, com- I'm on like a go to meeting and, or join me, all these types of things on my computer. And I really would like to use my AirPods for those, but I, I can't because I, I just can't pair these to the computer. It just doesn't work. Yeah. I haven't tried turning off my other Bluetooth devices and just using the AirPods, I would imagine that'd be fine. But, eh, screw it, I'll just plug in a wired headset. But, you know, I, I'd really like them for it. I mean, the, the big win with these is, is truly is the is the fact there aren't any wires. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't get caught on stuff. I noticed, like, I, I brewed last Saturday and it's just much more freedom, not having to worry about the cord. Because the cord can be kind of dangerous, actually, when yeah. you're doing stuff. And especially the headsets that 
the ones that are that are real sound blocking. They've got like the either the the rubber things that go away in your ear or the foam that fits your ear real tight. Mm-hmm. But those things get basically a, a vapor lock on your ear. And if you rip one of those out, I mean that, that could do damage. <laughs> So just not having that is nice. Um, one thing I do miss about those kind of headsets, though, is like when I vacuum or if I'm mowing the lawn, something really loud, I still need I need something that bl- is going to block a lot of sound so I can actually mm. hear what I'm listening to. But for most stuff, yeah, just not having those cords is really nice. I, I was wondering, you know, the thing, the thing you really have to warm up to, though, is being a nerd and always having this in your pocket. <laughs> you really can't you can't go without this, the, the, the floss, the, the little holder slash charger. Yeah, because they're too small. You can't just like put them in your pocket. You'll just you'll lose them, or you'll put them through the wash. Oh yeah. <clears throat> so, but I'm, I don't know. I've been I always I keep it with my phone. So if I take my phone out of my pocket, I take the floss out of my pocket. Put them back in. They both go in. So, but I'm still I'm I'm I think I'm going to lose something. I'm going to lose something. It's just going to happen. We'll see though. But it seems it's very it's a very very losable device for sure. So what do you think the answer to that is? Is stick a wire between them? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know they do have the, Beats does have that. They use the W1 chip, so it yeah it the has, Beats X. That's actually one thing I was looking at. I mean, I've come, I've kind of, I've looked at the AirPods before. I've looked at the Beats X. I just haven't really pulled the trigger on anything because I just didn't have a pain that was enough to go want me to go buy something. Well, now you got a freebie on a review and you can <laughs> decide if you want the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, the Beats still has. Well, they're wireless, right? Are they wireless? Yeah, it is. Wireless. Yeah, they're wireless. They use yeah. the same technology. It's just they have the wire in between. Uh, yeah, it's it's not it's, a wire. It's, it's um, it's more of a, it's a band, right? Isn't it more of a band? The one I'm thinking of was uh, maybe they do have one the separate. What mm-hmm. I'm thinking of though is that it has the 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 band and with AirPods at the or earpods at the end of them. This so one I'm connected. pretty sure was a wire because it okay. did have the controls on it, mm. so you could it's essentially the same controls you have with your okay um, earpods. Yeah, yeah. The Beats X got really good reviews. And have really good distance. Really? Yeah. Like almost 300, or almost 100 yards, mm. which is insane. Yeah, these have really good distance. I mean, th- that's what, that's another thing that sets them apart from like normal Bluetooth headset, which you usually can't even go out of a room. I mean, I can go all over my house. I can leave my phone somewhere and go all over the house. And you, I'd have to go through, it'd have to be at least three walls between me and my phone before it starts to break up. That's pretty good. So I can go almost anywhere. Certainly, I mean, I can just set the phone down in the living room and I can go to the kitchen, I can go to the garage, I can go into my bedroom, which is two or three walls over, and it's not a problem. And Bluetooth would never do that. Yeah, I have some Plantronics ones that I use when I'm when I'm riding my bike, and those are wireless. Um, the range isn't too bad. I mean, I can get one room out of, out of I can get into another room, um, but it starts to degrade in quality. But in terms of like when my phone's nearby and everything, it's I really enjoy them, I really like them, but I primarily use them just for that, not for everyday use. More so just because of battery life. Yeah. It's not that long. Mm. All right, man. Well, do you have any uh, after show material? Uh, just my chocolate. Um, the spear is really good. I really like it. I've, I've liked it more in the past. It's, I don't know. I've had it before. It gets a 4.5 on untapped. So, mm. I mean, but I think, you know, Funky Boot is one of these brewers. I think they, they, they benefit from the halo effect. And they're such, they're so, um, you know, adored by the craft beer community that anything they make just they basically get an extra half point or so mm-hmm. <laughs> or is it a, it's a bottle cap actually on untapped half extra half a bottle cap all oh, right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah it definitely um tastes like sir, uh, pancakes though doesn't it's pancakes with a bunch of syrup on it it does i mean the, the maple syrup is just coming out of it like crazy 
I kind of wish I had some bacon now too. This, I mean, this is this is a a, a breakfast beer if ever there was one. <laughs> That's true. All right, John, time to get out of here. I guess after we wrap this thing up. Yeah. All right. All right. Bye.